From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, one of the things that Aaron and I set out to do this year was was really to focus on some new topics, uh, you know, not so much completely get out of the cloud, but really go focus on some new emerging areas that people have expressed a lot of interest in. We've seen, um, you know, some new technology breakthroughs. And so today we're, we're really excited about kind of talking about edge computing and, and what's going on around the edge, what's going on around kind of the evolution of what's happening as computing gets embedded into every device that we interact with, kind of all of the the things that we do on a day-to-day basis in our lives. And uh, for that, we, we really had to go out and find somebody who was going to think big about this. And we're excited to have an old friend of the show, but uh, really uh, excited to have Derek Collison on the show. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a, been a while since we've uh, got to chat, but excited to, to talk with you. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I have had a bunch of, of interesting conversations. You always, you know, make me think, and uh, I know you're always, you're thinking about the future. And, and when I saw that um, you were, you were starting a new company, you were beginning a new company, and, and part of the focus was on edge computing, I thought, yep, I, I got to go get Derek. I got to go see where his thinking is on this, because you never get involved with things um, without really, you know, kind of understanding the, the breadth of the ecosystem three or four years down the road and then and then trying to figure out how to make an impact. So at a high level, I know, you know, people probably know you, whether it's from your work, you know, back at, at Google, at Tibco, you know, you started the Cloud Foundry project back when you were at VMware, uh, you, you started AppSera, but give us a sense of, of what's the new company that you're starting and, and kind of, you know, it's very early days, but what's what's the big thinking that you're going after? Yeah, I, I mean it's it's really uh, straightforward and, and and simple, but then also making a bunch of of bets on where we think the future is going. And the older I get, I, I think I feel I'm getting better at understanding where things going, um, but I'm getting worse at at how long it's going to take us to get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, so at, at Tipco, I designed messaging systems that allowed computers to coordinate right and to work in, in large data centers and things like that. Um, for Cloud Foundry, I, I didn't have a technology that really fit the bill to kind of do that uh, from a distributed systems standpoint when we were building and architecting Cloud Foundry. And so I created a, a small technology called NATS, um, which is a very, very simple but very, very efficient, uh, uh, dependable, resilient, and always on type of dial tone technology that just does multiple messaging patterns, right? Pub, sub, request, reply, and, and queuing all in one. And, and so you don't have to, you know, with HTTP, you've got request, reply, then you add load balancing in with routers, and you add all these different components. It's just really simple, really works. And, and I built it for myself, um, meaning I didn't feel anyone would ever care to use it, and, and that was totally okay. Um, and, and Cloud Foundry, I think, has been utilizing and benefiting from it uh, for the, the majority of his existence, you know, in different forms or fashion. And, of course, AppServe was built on it as well. But what we found uh, about two years ago, people started using it on their own, right? There's a, a disruption of um, the way computer systems would coordinate through the traditional enterprise messaging systems, right? And you see things like Kafka are, are filling that space of just disrupting it and changing the way we do that. But also the notion of platform technologies, which I've devoted the last uh, gee, seven years or so, eight years of my life to 
trying to make it such that things like decomposing monoliths into microservices is easier, right? We needed that technology to make, you know, 10 things as easy as one thing, right? And to get those advantages that we wanted. Uh, and so Nats kind of took on a life of its own. And so that combined with the topic for today's talk uh, around um, edge computing, um, we really thought it was a great time to uh, double down on the technology, create a company that really wanted to focus solely on the Nats ecosystem and, and bringing the notion of a digital dial tone to connect everything, right? Connect all the digital devices and services going forward. And so that's kind of where we are. And, and the big bet is, is on the fact that, you know, we've got 7 billion plus people in the world, you know, depending on estimates, four to five are, are connected in some form or fashion, although the majority of those are at, at lower uh, connectivity speeds. Um, but at the same time, digital devices and systems and services will be, you know, north of, of 20 billion or so, uh, some say around 75 billion by 2022, right? And so those numbers are a lot larger. And, and right now, they all communicate through silos. Um, they're all different the way they communicate. And, and we've seen the notion of value in connecting things on a consistent network, kind of like our, our phones that are in our pockets today. Um, they just kind of work. Uh, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when they didn't just work. Half the time they didn't work. And right. you got off a plane in London and they definitely didn't work. Um, you know, there's no equivalent for that. And and that plus the security aspect of really doubling down on making things safe and secure by default and still easy to use, I think, is is uh, a need that the market really hasn't looked at uh, deeply yet. So we're going to try to to do that. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, as, as I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about this, you know, I was like, okay, we, we want to touch on some, some broad topics. Uh, you, you know, the, the new company is still sort of new, so we won't dig into that technology too much. Obviously, like you said, Nats has, has been out there. Um, there's been a lot of evolution of that, but I, I kind of want to talk about some of the broader trends. Cause I know you, you always are thinking about that the further down the road, you know, the public cloud, kind of grew uh, the usage of public cloud. It kind of grew in lockstep with what we saw in the growth of, of, uh, of smartphones, right? So sort of the iPhone and AWS kind of timing-wise was, was very similar. What are you seeing or, or what are you sort of seeing as emerging trends that are driving this, this new interest that people have around edge or services around edge, right? Obviously it's, it's more distributed than, than sort of the current public cloud. You've got, like you said, different uh, bandwidth needs or different bandwidth availability in, in different parts of the world, you know, geography wise, city wise and so forth. W what are some of those things near term and, and further term, you know, that aren't so much smartphones that, that you think are going to drive this, uh, this big change around the edge? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and I, I, I think I've gone on record before where I, I really do believe edge will dwarf cloud computing. And, and I think there's a couple of fundamental reasons that, um, are based in, in physics, right? Speed of light type problems. Mm -hmm. uh, historically, you know, if you look back into, you know, the as far back as even the 50s and 60s, but I mean, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, we've, as an industry, have kept vacillating back and forth between, you know, monolithic type computing and, and client server distributed computing in some form or fashion. Right. And we've gone back and forth several times, right? Now we feel that, um, you know, we're, we're distributed, but if you think about it, we're still kind of in a client server model where the client is the browser and the, the server is, is a bunch of computers that are operating in a distributed fashion, but they're in a cloud somewhere. Mm -hmm. right? 
Right. Um, and there's a lot of advantages to that. Now, that being said, you've got another technology uh, outside of, of the proliferation of, of devices and communications that is also affecting these trends, which is machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. And, um, you know, I, I've said this, but there's a lot smarter people than I have said it. But, you know, our, our brains are about 50,000 year old wetware. Um, <laughs> we, we can't really understand exponential growth uh, effectively. We understand linear um, and, and our primitive brains understand linear very well because, you know, we need to know how fast we need to run to get away from something trying to do us harm. Right. Exponential growth, though, is what we're talking about with machine learning and AI. And, and if you've, you know, at least from my perspective, been around in the late 80s, went through the first AI winter, um, what, we're, what we're experiencing now, um, people really struggle to fathom where this is going to be in, in as little as five years and in, in 10 years. Um, and there's a couple properties that are, are exemplified that are exacerbating the need for this notion of edge computing, which is one is going to dominate for the most part, our interaction with intelligent systems. Now, intelligent systems in the past were just software that, you know, you and I would write or others would write. Um, what's happening now is, is that as, as you can see by, you know, Google and, and Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft, Google, especially leading, I think is, all of these crazy self-tuned algorithms and stuff that allowed Google search to dominate the world and still does are now being replaced by artificial intelligence. Um, now what's interesting about that is, is that for the most part, when you're typing in, you know, who is Brian Gracely? Uh, Google's really fast, right? Um, but it is a speed of light problem and they, they worked very hard to cover the globe of in and out, you know, the door in about 200 milliseconds. When all of a sudden you change to start talking to something and the cloud was the one that was doing the translation from, um, you know, speech to text before it even interpreted it. All of a sudden our brain started realizing, hmm, there's a little delay here, right? And, and we're starting to feel the, the experiences change in, in how we interact with these systems. And so what's starting to happen is, is that because the speed of light is what it is, we're trying to figure out ways to move these systems closer and closer to the end user. Now, what's interesting is everyone says, well, move it to the phone. Um, and, and I do believe that, that those endpoint devices like that will play a massive role in edge computing. But I'm not necessarily thinking about that in the next two to four years, believe it or not. Yes, there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of innovation on, on endpoint devices like our smartphones and, and the, the assistants, right, like Alexa and Google Home and HomePod right, that are right. in, our, in our houses. Um, but what I'm more thinking about is, okay, if you look at the way the trends with machine learning and AI are going, you can still use the cloud to train, you know, massive amounts of data training things. Um, but once the model is actually kind of put together and things that can be modeled and won't change eventually very much like understanding, um, speech to text, those models can be proliferated all the way out to the edge, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think you're going to see this, this massive trend where um, two things are going to start happening. And they've already started happening, and, and I think everyone will keep denying them. But I, I promise you they're happening. I just don't know how fast they're going to happen. Yep. So most people feel that everything is still going to software and everything is still going to the cloud, right? I'm actually saying we're, we're already in reverse on both of those trends and that the things that we care most about interfacing with technology will move back into hardware. 
customized ASICs that live on your phone, live in devices in your house, live on you know cellular endpoints that that are you know the cell towers. Um, and so when I talk about edge first, I talk about how do we Im- initially start going out from a single cloud. And of course, then you go to multiple clouds. But then I think there's a massive wave where the telco verticals have a massive infrastructure that is the closest thing to you, um, you know, in terms of the cell towers. And those cell towers are going to get more dense um, as we move to 5G, right? Because of the, the, again, physics, we need more of them to actually cover right. uh, the area. Um, but speed of light is, is that the fastest response you can get from an infrastructure out type edge uh, proliferation will be in the cellular networks, right? Right. Um, right. And yes, you can do it on the cable boxes as well. But, that, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to drive at is I think the first big wave that's going to affect us, uh, even though we are staring at our HomePods and our Alexa devices and the, the new Samsung or, or iPhone, is going to be this massive transformation to gig LTE and 5G and the infrastructure changes to support it. Those endpoints are going to become more than just communication devices. They're going to become, you know, more intelligent devices. Um, and so there's this notion of, oh, I can actually have the most up-to-date, you know, way to translate or, or get some sort of AI response that's actually the model is executing in the cell tower that I'm connected to. Right. 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 One of the other things I think will happen, it'll probably take again longer than we think, Wi-Fi will go away. You know, if you're in a urban city uh, like San Francisco or New York or, or you know, L.A., you know, you you turn on your Wi-Fi thing and there's 50 of these things. I think 5G will get rid of all, all that. Interesting. Um, meaning that uh, you won't need to, to um, use a Wi-Fi point. Um, hmm. And so these models that are trained in, in clouds then will be boiled down to something that is deliverable as software, but it's, it's a machine learning model that's being executed on customized hardware, and it will continue to get closer and closer to us. I think you'll see this in the central offices within telcos, the 5G infrastructure, the cell towers, the base stations, the metros. Then, of course, you'll see the jump to inside the house, right? Um, and you're already seeing it a little bit with, like, if you don't have great cell service, you can get, like, a, an extender or an amplifier or something put in your house that essentially makes it work kind of better. You'll see those start upticking and being more intelligent as, as well. Um, the other big, big trend is, is that us processing information – um, there's things that are starting to come about where we need responses faster than the speed of a light allows us to go to a cloud provider and back. Um, so whether it's the cars trying to figure out what they need to do, um, right now it's all self-contained, right? So your Tesla, you know, downloads new software. It has all the new models that are the best it has so far, but eventually they're going to start talking to other cars and they're going to start talking to other systems, and they can't spend, you know, 100 milliseconds going all the way to a cloud provider and coming back. Um, and so you're going to see this also, this proliferation of edge, where not only are there communication endpoints further out from the cloud, things can work autonomously, right? You can actually ask someone that's very close to you to give you information that um, you need to be able to trust. So going back to Nats and, and this opportunity the first thing I think needs to happen is is secure and trusted communications that can proliferate all the way to the edges. So I don't have to trombone through a central endpoint that is Google or, you know, AT&T or whatever. I can talk to Brian who's sitting right next to me because we're on a plane working on something, let's say, 
um, and his system knows something that I want to know, right. um, I want to be able to trust it. I want to know that it's Brian's device and it's coupled to Brian as, as a, a carbon identity. And it's something about, you know, the data that I can trust, but without having to go all the way back. And so those three major, major trends, I think are all kind of going to come together. Um, the normal things within clouds that will translate out are platform technologies, right? How we can run lots of little things. Yep. Um, and, and you're seeing massive amounts of innovation uh, in that space. And so that's taking care of itself. It's still, you know, got a ways to go. There's still a lot of ground to, to cover. But I think the all-in-one platform as a service ecosystems and then the, the infrastructure toolbox with things like Kubernetes and Docker and things are really kind of showing a path forward of how we can assemble and, and manage uh, lots of, of moving pieces at scale. Yeah. Um, once that's there and you have the notion of being able to trust that, which was the, the whole reason Absera existed, um, I think you'll start seeing things proliferate very quickly with the spread of, of the 5G kind of rollout, which is you know, probably going to start around 2020 or so, but it might start earlier. Verizon's already doing testing and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know, you, you hit on a lot of things there. Um, the, the the first and foremost being, um, it's it's not always that hard to predict the future. It, it is very hard to predict the the time frame of the future um, to sort of get things right. But I yeah. think you know, if you if you think about some of the things that you talked about, so you know, the the mention of of things coming back to hardware. I mean, we're already seeing the beginning of that, right? Apple builds their own chips for iPhone which is a you know massively uh, popular device that's out there so so you have that hardware component um, you know Amazon talks about uh, their Alexa device or what is it whatever it's called the echo device um, you know being the number one selling device they have it has a piece of custom hardware in there to be able to do speech recognition and, and echo cancellation all that stuff uh, we're seeing the price of solar panels come way down which talks about the ability to you know to manufacture hardware at, at much broader scale and so forth so I think the building blocks are, are there for what you're talking about um, you know and then like you said you're, we're going to have systems that will become more proliferated that that we want to get unique information from and you know you mentioned tesla like there's no reason in the future that uh, you know a tesla can't speak to another electric car maybe it has to be a tesla maybe it has just has to be another you know trusted electric car to understand okay the road ahead of us or the road that you traveled on may give me better insight about how an electric car should travel you know for recharging or for you know traction control or whatever that you know might advantage you know that type of thing so i yeah i think i think you're absolutely right we're we're at the beginning of seeing those things i think people can start envisioning what those things might do and then you know like like we've seen in the past anytime you get cheaper chips and faster bandwidth um, brought to a different place into the network um, all of a sudden you have this broad you know proliferation of, of new stuff that happens and and stuff that you can't necessarily always think about so yeah uh, i mean now the only the only the caveat there is is that the bandwidth has has served us extremely well but where i think we are now with the edge is it's not a bandwidth problem and yes bandwidth will help but it's a latency problem mm, okay. right and that's just a speed of light problem sure. so that's what i'm saying so this this whole wave over the last 30 40 years of client server to you know back to centralized back to client server in some form or fashion um, the reason i think edge will be so big is because I don't think we can go back once we get to edge. So, so uh, you raised a great point with the iPhone X. It's got like five custom chips all doing different stuff. But if you could imagine staring at your phone, it looks at your face, uploads stuff, 
it analyzes it in the cloud, figures it out, and then, you know, let's say best case scenario, three seconds later, it unlocks your phone. No one would use that. Right. No one would use it at all. And so Apple already knew that. And so they built, you know, these models where they can update the models and it's normal. It's not Tesla over the air, but I mean, you, you know, you update your iPhone and it'll get a little bit better model at detecting faces. It has to be local to the device. Right. Even, even Amazon now has really doubled down. I think they just announced that they're going to build their own custom, you know, AI chips to, um, you know, and data storage to put into these endpoint Alexa devices because, the use is getting so proliferated that people are starting to get very sensitive to, to the latency. How long does it take? And right now, everything on Alexa goes to the cloud and then comes back, essentially. Yep. Um, and so they're like, we've got to move all of this into that device. And, and that's definitely one wave of edge computing on the consumer side that you're going to see proliferate. There's going to be no standards. There's going to be no cross-pollination of, of anything, which I think uh, is, is sad. But at the same time, there's this other wave that people kind of don't look at as much, which is from the cloud out, right? Just slowly creeping closer and closer to you. And, and most of that, that land grab will be coming through the, the telco verticals and the infrastructure that they've spent, you know, to be honest, hundreds of, of years, you know, uh, putting together. Right, right. Now, speaking of, speaking of that, I know, you know, you're, you're starting a company, um, you've, you've done a number of startups. So as a CEO, you, you sort of have to think about the economics of the market you're getting into. Have you, have you dug into kind of the, the broader economics of what the edge looks like? Obviously it's, you know, it's always sort of this balance of, you know, how much data can I afford to store close to a device? Um, how much does, does latency cost or bandwidth cost versus, you know, something else? What are you seeing kind of as, as the economics at the edge? Is it, is it advent? Is it beginning to become advantageous? Are there some like big breakthroughs that are coming in a couple of years that that you're going to say, okay, the the cost of this is going to drop ninety percent? Or, or have you kind of mentally gone through those models yet? Yeah, I think the the ability to to move data uh, again when you're not constrained by the speed light, right? You'll never download all of the the sure. telemetry data from an airplane, right, over the air to to a ground station. But the ones that you can, there's still going to be, uh, you know, advances with bandwidth and, and, and latency around getting closer and closer to the speed of light. Um, I think you're going to see huge amounts of innovation in custom hardware mm-hmm. and the ability to do custom hardware um, that's extremely low power. Um, I think, you know, believe it or not, I do believe you're going to see trends to go back to software that's not as resource hungry. So even though I don't program in C anymore, I think it is going to make a little bit of a comeback, um, right? Because the the energy uh, usage on the endpoint is is applicable. Where I think Edge works well is that there is no flawed consumer bias right now. So what I mean by that is is and this is a big pet peeve of mine uh, that I'm going to try to um, help out and and do what I think we can as as an ecosystem and a, as a company to to help fix. Um, but the edge has the notion of, of a utility, right? And so you're going to pay for utilities. You pay for electricity, you pay for cable, you pay for your AT&T bill. Heck, you even pay for trash bags. But you can have software that costs tens of millions of dollars to develop and you won't pay for it. Mm-hmm. You, it's, it needs to be open source and, and you're not going to pay for it. And, and that's right now is fundamentally flawed. And so when I look at the market, one of the, the things that I like about edge um, as uh, a, a potential 
landscape and market to, to drive business into is, is that it, it already has that notion of, yeah, you got to pay for it. You know, so you're paying for trash bags. They cost very little, but you still pay for them. Right. But you're not going to pay for WhatsApp, right? Or you're not going to pay for, you know, Kubernetes, or you're not going to pay for, uh, you know, Docker. Um, that needs to fix itself. And, and what I think might be interesting is, is that if there is a way, and, and I have thoughts on this um, that I've been working on for last year or so, around how you can combine the best of, of open source and, and what it represents with business models that, that reward that open source ecosystem, um, I think is, is something that us as a community and Brian, I know you're, you're involved in this to, to some degree as well as we all are needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, you know, historically, if you've looked at anything that has met a market need where innovation is required to start, um, they all follow the same path early on, whether it's closed source or not. You know, there's a tremendous amount of financial incentive that flows back to the innovators, right? Right. There has to be that. It just that's the way it works. Right. And then, of course, you get you know pricing pressure and commoditization and democratization and an open source alternatives. All that stuff makes sense towards the tail end once we feel that the market need has been saturated. Where we are right now as a community is is that. We are enforcing a consumer bias that it should be free. You know, everyone's default is, oh, it's, it's open source, should be free. Now, yes, there's models, and, and you guys are one of the best examples of where you can drive a, a very successful business around, um, you know, support and, and other types of things. But for a new startup coming on, if, if you open source your, your project or a product um, and you don't have a very concrete way of driving a business around it that is not just support-based – yeah, that's, it's incredibly uh, in hard. A, right? Yeah, you're in for a really hard time. Um, right. And and I think that's wrong. It, it shouldn't work that way. If if no one cares about what you're developing and no one's using it, well, then then markets do what they're supposed to do and they they prune that stuff out. Right. If someone's using your technology to do mission critical things all over the world, there should be a an incentive flow um, for that technology and. It's, it's a non-trivial problem, uh, and it is one that right now is fighting upstream against a consumer bias that's being reinforced by large companies who are investing more in open source who have revenue streams outside of that said project. So they don't need to make money off of it. Right. So they're reinforcing Google, that. Google and ads and things like that as sure. an example, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, so – what I what I like, and again, back to your question, although it was a, a long trip around <laughs> the, the block, is is that edge computing has this notion of oh, these things, even if they're services that are being delivered to the edge, are, are a utility. You might not have to pay a lot, but you have to pay for these things, right? Uh, and so, you know, I'm looking at obviously hardware, bandwidth, latency, but I'm also looking at you know proliferation of micro transactions with that are very very low cost. Um, you know, blockchain is 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 hyped probably beyond what it should be. But the notion of decentralized control is very, very important. If you're looking at a technology that you want to have global reach, you can't say, oh, this one company will control everything. We, we know how the markets respond to that, right? It's not good. Right. Uh, I call it failure of your own success. Um, and so this notion of things being decentralized by design early on, but you have to pay. You're paying into an ecosystem where lots of people can participate and you know pay fees, but then also get rewarded and things like that. I think – the answer lies somewhere around there. I'm sure I don't have all the answers, um, but I'm hoping that you know a lot of the industry kind of looks at this and tries to figure out 
ways to fix this because I, I do believe it's broke. Yep. Yep. No, and I, I would agree. It's um, if if there's not a way for for innovation to be sort of at least have a, a reasonable chance of 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 having you know risk to reward adjustments that are that are fair in the marketplace um you're going to lose that that incentive for for innovation and so forth so yeah no i i completely agree with you and and i think you know we've seen in the marketplace where sometimes um you know behaviors are hard to to change in a certain area or a certain domain but um like you said in in a in a new domain or domain that that has you know, more definitive kind of cultural norms, uh, you know, there is that possibility to, you know, to, to go in and, and do those sort of things. Let me ask You're you exactly right. Yeah. Let me, sure. let me ask you one last question. We'll keep this sort of short, um, but, but kind of wrap it up to some of the things we've talked about. So you've always been a, a big proponent of what like the Google brain projects doing. You've, you've talked a lot about kind of the advances in AI um, and, and you hit on it a little bit when we, when we got started, D- do you see, um, you know, AI having to be, really different or machine learning having to be really different for distributed edge systems or or are we just are we going to be able to use a lot of what we've learned over the last you know like you said 10 20 30 years and and five to seven years it's got accelerated recently at the edge in the same way or is there is there some sort of huge change that has to happen to make that useful right it's it's the the challenge of like where do you have all the data where do you have the learnings and then how do you apply the learnings yeah, I, I, I mean, from from my perspective, what I've been watching with, um, you know, great, um, you know, excitement, to be honest with you, is uh, Google, and they did this very quietly, but they've become public with it, uh, you know, uh, over the last year or so, is they immediately went into, hmm, we should probably think about separating out the training of a model versus the execution of a model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the training of the model, right, we went from CPUs, lots of CPUs, GPUs. Um, now, of course, there is hardware on the training side. But essentially, we went to that model and then saying, once we've trained the model, can we actually execute this in something that's more efficient, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and this is where you're not even looking at FPGAs, you're looking at ASICs. And so when you look at like AlphaGo, it's amazing how fast AlphaGo can learn. That's everyone sees that they read the articles. Where I think people might miss out on, and it's harder to dig up. But the details around the first AlphaGo competition, how much hardware they had. So they had a about a room size of of special processing units that no one knew existed mm-hmm. that were playing the game, right? Where it blows me away is, is that when they went back and, and they uh, went up against Lee, um, you know, it was substantially less, like an order of magnitude less. Okay. And now the last version where, you know, it learned on its own and now it can and go ahead and, and do everything. I believe I could be wrong, but I believe it, it can effectively run the model on just two TPUs. So the amount of hardware needed to execute a super complex model that does something that no one's ever seen in the world is going down faster than Moore's law was going up, you know, in the eighties and the nineties. And that's where I think, you know, it's like, wow. So think about that. So you can use all of the computers that Google or Microsoft or Amazon has to train these models. And there is still a lot of innovation, especially around the core models, right? We, right now we have a plethora of them and, we combine them to do different things, but I think the very low-level core algorithm, there's going to be a breakthrough in the next, you know, one to, to five years that is going to make everything we have today look like child's play. Mm-hmm. But even with the stuff that works, the fact that all of a sudden we can start executing these models in very small, low-power custom chips 
and they can execute any model, like a TensorFlow model or, or whatever standard uh, that we think will, will win out in the long run. That is huge, right? So we've, we've got, you know, we separated out training from execution. Execution is moving to hardware and moving to the edge. Training can, can still be in the cloud with lots of GPUs or TPUs or CPUs. Um, that's where I think the big opportunity for edge is. So anytime you think about, you know, interfacing with technology and AI plays a role, any, any innovation in that space is going to radically transform our experiences. And, and again, I, I can't even fathom where we'll be in 10 years, but I can promise you it'll be very similar to when you're on the highway and you can see a motorcycle in your rear view mirror and you look back up and it's blown by you. I mean, it's, you know, doing 180 miles an hour. Yeah. That's, that's what's happening right now. And we're still looking in our rear view mirror going, Oh, I can kind of see it. Yeah. I think it'll, you know, we will blink and it is going to blow by us. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listen with that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I know we covered a lot of topics and and folks may have to go back and listen to this one a couple of times to kind of uh, dissect it all. But Derek, thank you so much for, for the insight today. We probably could, could do this for another hour, but uh, thank you for it. Um, Folks, you know, real quick, Derek, if, if people might want to reach out to you, kind of, you know, dig into, I know Nats has a, a, really robust community today, but maybe pick your brain a little bit about, uh, you know, what you're doing with, uh, uh, Synodia or just kind of want to reach out to you. What, what might be a good way for people to do that? Yeah. Uh, just shoot me an email, Derek, D E R E K at nats.io, N A T S.io. And Brian, thank you for the invite. Uh, I always love our conversations and enjoy them. And I can promise the audience I'll probably get 50% of this stuff wrong, but it's, it's fun to think this way and think, you know, where the, the, the future is going for, for all of us. So, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. Folks, thank you so much. And uh, Derek, thank you so much, folks. With that, we're going to wrap it up. And for Aaron and Derek, we're going to talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.